want to talk about heaven. I want to pick up, and this is part two of a four-part series. I rarely do series. I really, this doesn't work out for me. But this is a series on heaven. There's just so much to be said about the subject. I couldn't fit it into one message. I want to talk about heaven. Heaven is not pie in the sky as the world would want us to believe. They think we're weak-minded and that we have to have some crutch to lean on to make it through life. And they're the tough ones. They're the strong ones. They're the ones who don't need religion, don't need faith in anything but themselves. But if you live very long, you watch how they end, and you find they're not so tough. And you find they're not so sure about all the things. In fact, oftentimes come down to the end with massive regret. I read all kinds. of Sometimes I don't know the quality or the reliability of the quotes on some of these people who come down to their end. And they're, but nevertheless, I've, through the years of seen regret. I mean, a guy like Robin Williams, I don't think he has to write anything. He didn't have to write anything about what he felt. man that killed himself. A man that caused people to laugh. But see, without Christ, laughter is hollow. It's hollow. Ends up being remorse without Christ. Christ is everything. So this part two is what we will do. The part one was basically about heaven itself, the teaching of the Bible and heaven. It's all over. Jesus spoke more about heaven than he did hell. He spoke a lot about hell, but he spoke about more about heaven. And uh, he um, wants us to go there. What will we do in heaven, part two? We will worship God in heaven. Worship defined. How do you define worship? Worship is nowhere defined in Scripture just demonstrated. The Bible just doesn't, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. He doesn't try to scientifically tell you how he did it. He just tells you, I did it. You figure it out. I did it. With worship, it's similar to that. Some outside definitions about worship, I have four different ones. Doctor, guy by the name of Dr. Yoho, he's an Italian. That's an Italian name, by the way. He says this, the ardent adoration that dedicated hearts offer up to God out of a profound recognition of who he is and what he has done for them. That's his definition of worship. I went in the secular dictionary, Funk and Wagnall's dictionary, and they say it this way. Adoration, homage, or veneration given a deity or something that regarded as sacred. A vine, which is a tremendous word study, page 236, says it this way. The direct acknowledgement to God of his nature, his attributes, attributes, his ways, his claims, whether outgoing of the heart in praise or his deeds done in such acknowledgments. Then you have my definition among those men. My definition of worship, it says this, worship can be equated with obedience and service as well as singing, speaking, and writing because obedience and service show real recognition of authority, respect, and honor. What we have today is we have a lot of people that are supposedly are worshiping God uh, in music and in services and then go out and serve their flesh. Don't obey the Bible. An obvious contradiction of the Bible. 
if you don't obey the Bible, you're not worshiping God in spirit and in truth. See, he said in John 4, the Father seeketh such to worship him. Who are those people? The people that worship in spirit and truth. You can't or it. It's not one or the other. You can't have a big old time having a big old praise service and everybody get excited about God and say, boy, we worship God today. Well, you better worship him in obedience on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. My wife honors me as her head by obedience to me. I just lost half the people. You say, well, I don't believe women should be obedient to their husbands. Well, you don't believe the Bible. Ephesians chapter 5 is the clearest anywhere in the book. Now, that obedience is done in joy. I serve God out of a grateful heart of joy. Not like he's a... He's a, some sort of dictator causing me to do what he wants me to do. Man, I want to do the will of God. Some of the, some of the greatest marriages I've ever witnessed are those who have that team figured out. You know, there's not an army without a captain. There's not a ship without a captain. There's not, there's not anything organized that doesn't have leadership. And yet, for some reason, we want to make marriage with no leadership. You have to have a leader. Somebody's got to be able to say, veto power. Got to have veto power. Amen. And if it's not you, it's gonna if it, man, if it's not you, it's gonna be your wife. But somebody's got veto power. And that's not bad. That's that's good. Service is a sign of worship. And when we serve God and obey him, and I don't think you know who God is unless you obey him. Obedience to what he says to us, my oh my. If he's if he is what the Bible says the Bible says the Lord the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. If the Lord is good, He merits our obedience and our and our service. And you would want to do it. But that's that's my definition of worship from the Bible. Four main areas of Scripture that deal with worship: First Chronicles chapter twenty-two through twenty-nine, the whole book of Psalms, really one hundred and fifty Psalms, is all about worship. Luke chapter one and two, especially, deals with Elizabeth and Zacharias. And the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, which tells more than anywhere else about worship. The, the book of Revelation is consumed with worship. Some verses that I want to mention to you out of that book of Revelation that talk about worship. Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 through 11. The four and twenty elders in heaven, that is, this is, a, this is the throne room of heaven, fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Revelation chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, we see worship. And they sing the song of Moses, the son of the servants of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. Revelation 22, the last chapter of that book in verse 9 uh, the, John fell down before the angel which showed him these things, and here's what he said. The angel said, no. Then he said unto me, See thou, do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. 
Boy, that's a great identification for the, for the people of God. Who are they? Who are the people of God? They that keep the sayings of this book. I've been listening to the Israeli news, keeping track of the war over there pretty tightly. And Netanyahu said a statement that interested me. We fundamental independent Baptists, we call ourselves people of the book. That is one of the definitions we try to, we say we obey the book, we believe the book in its literal sense, and we try to obey the book. Okay, we're people of the book. The book, the blood, and the blessed hope. And I heard Netanyahu say on TV, we are people of the book. Now, I picked that up, I said, people of the book? Well, the Jews, even though they're in unbelief, haven't rejected the Christ that came, he came into their own, his own received him not, they've rejected Christ, yet they still have faith in the 39 books of the Old Testament as being the, the books given to them by God, especially the law of Moses, they call themselves people of the book. Interesting, interesting. He says, they keep the sayings of this book, worship God, worship God. All the so-called intellectuals and pompous leaders of society will someday be made foolish as they, bef- as they bow before Jesus Christ and worship him who was, who is, and who is to come. Mussolini will be there. Uh, Hitler will be there and fall down before Jesus' feet. Darwin will fall down before Jesus' feet, the one who started the false teaching of evolution. A uh, Voltaire, a great skeptic of the word of God, will fall down before him. Skinner, another one of me you may recognize, Madeline Murray O'Hare, she was especially responsible for kicking God out of school in the 60s. She was responsible for kicking prayer out of school and the reading of the Bible out of school. Oh, I wouldn't want to be Madeline Murray O'Hare's, but she someday, her knees are going to hit the golden pavement and say, Jesus, you are Lord. That's what it says in the book of Philippians, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, well, I don't want to believe it. You will. My suggestion would be you believe it voluntarily on this side when you can and receive Christ as your Savior and repent of your sins rather than to be forced. And it really won't be forced on the other side. It'll be the, the, the evidence will be so strong that there can be no skeptic When it comes to the great white throne judgment, there'll be no skeptic there. They will say, indeed, Jesus is who the Bible said he is. He was, he is, and he is to come, in fact. The Lord Almighty. College professors. Oh, I went to Indiana University for about a year. And we had a college professor in a, in a subject of economics, of all subjects, economics. Now, macroeconomics. I took microeconomics, macroeconomics, and all that. And macroeconomics, what does God have to do with macroeconomics? Well, you wouldn't think he'd have a whole lot to do with it. It's a secular subject of how the economics work in the big picture. And yet, that old professor, I'll never forget, I was, had a whole classroom of eager, hungry minds, young 18, 22-year-olds in there, and he's a smart man, an intelligent man, and a man able to quote stuff and impress you with his ability to know stuff. And he got up there and said, Oh, there's no invisible hand of God 
that controls things. And I thought to myself, someday your knees are going to hit the golden pavement and say, Jesus, you're Lord. Revelation 1.8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. And we know from that context, the Almighty, by the way, we know from context it's talking about the Lord Jesus there in chapter 1 of Revelation. I read out of a commentary, I don't normally do this, but this is so well worded and so well done, that I want to read to you a commentary of, of uh, a, little, a few verses out of Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, you enter into the throne room of God, and, and, and let me just read a couple of the first verses there in Revelation chapter 5. He says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book uh, written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. So it's called the seven seal book. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and read the book, neither to look thereon. Wow. Until Jesus came, the lion of the tribe of Judah showed up and was able to take the book because he is worthy. That idea, the fact that Jesus shows up and partakes of this and be able is worthy to take this book causes a ruckus. You know the word ruckus? It, these people have a spell. When, when Jesus is able to reach out and take the book, and I pick up the commentary here, and he says, and he came and took the book from the right hand of him that sitteth upon the throne. And the commentator said, this is the sublimest individual act recorded in the apocalypse. It is the act which includes all that suffering creation and disinherited saints of God have been sighing and crying and waiting for for all these long ages, for 6,000 years of grief and sorrow. It is the act which carries with it all else that is written in a succeeding part uh, of this glorious revelation. It is the act by virtue of which the world is subdued, Babylon judged, Antichrist destroyed, the dragon vanquished, death overthrown, curse expunged, the earth made new, reign of the everlasting blessedness of peace made to cover its hills and illuminous valleys and transform it into an unfading paradise of God. It is the lifting of the title deed of the alienated inheritance. It is the legal act of repossession of all that was lost in Adam and paid for by the blood and the tears of the Son of God. Heaven looks on in solemn silence as this act is being performed. The universe is stricken with awe and grows breathless as it views it. And the living ones and the elders and all the hosts of angels are filled with adoring wonder and joy as if another fiat or a moment of creation has gone forth from God for a new creation. The Bible says when he took the book in verse 8 there, this is when it begins to happen, when he takes the book. There went a thrill throughout the universe in the heart of every living thing. Like when a large stone falls in a steel lake, it hits with a large splash and you begin to see reverberation, waves of, of disruption, waves of praise. And what you see in the fifth chapter here, waves of praise 
start early where it hits the splash when he reaches up and takes the book. Woo! The four living ones and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb and the song, a song which was never sung before broke out on their lips. John hears the lofty anthem rolling sublime through heaven. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and redeemest us to God by the blood out of every tribe, out of every tongue, out of every people, out of every nation. Thou madest us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. The destiny of born-again folks. Nor they alone were moved to newer and intenser adoration. But around the throne, as these waves went out, the living and, and the ones and the elders, and afar, as far into the depths of space, he heard the voice of many angels, a number of them myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb which had been slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing, and wider and wider still the sympathetic response of adoring rapture continues. There was not a holy heart unmoved nor a holy tongue that did not lift itself up in song and praise. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and upon the earth, this is verse 13, 14, and all the things in them, John's heard saying, to him that sitteth upon the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and the honor and glory and dominion for the age from for the ages of the ages. And the four living ones said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Wow. They had them a spell in heaven. Now I hate to say I hate it's interesting to say this because time's relative, but the born again Christians in this room and listening, we're there for that. That's future. We're going to be there for that. You say, oh, preacher, preach on that. You won't have to worry about me preaching. I'll be nothing compared to what you're going to witness personally. Your eyes will see what was read there. Your ears will hear what was read there. Is it worth service and obedience to the king of kings who loves you so much to make you a kingdom of priests? It is. Wow. So in heaven, there'll be worship. Secondly, in heaven, there'll be fellowship. Fellowship. Vine again, that Greek commentator, especially on words, tremendous guy, his uh Koinonia, which is the word for fellowship, he says it means communion, sharing, participating together in harmony with one purpose. Do you know sin brought disharmony and an antip antipath something like that? It brought hate, distrust, envy, strife, divisions, enmity. Wars, sin separates. I do a little bit of marriage counseling, and I can tell you what 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 dissolves marriages. Sin. That's just the big picture. Sin. Well, if people get right with God, they have harmony. When people stand away from God, they have disharmony. 
When they do it their way, they have disharmony, but when they do it God's way, they have harmony. Serving God breeds unity. It breeds harmony. It's not artificial. It's not something you say, well, now I got to get along. When you worship and serve God, you get along. You give people flexibility. You give people differences. You give people wiggle room, especially people like your wife or your husband or your close friends or your, your church family. Uh, you're, you're, you're known by your mercy, not by your wrath. Oh, I'll be glad when sin's gone. In heaven, the pure souls only fellowship with perfect unity and mutual concern one for another. What is the definition of fellowship? The most sophisticated definition I've ever read is two fellows in a ship. Why is it, why is it necessary to fellowship in heaven? First of all, we need fellowship. We need it. Years ago, there was an article in the paper about a Rosemary Russell of Newport Beach, California, a 25-year-old, highly motivated, good-looking, ambitious, successful financially. She was more successful than most 50-year-olds her age. She seemingly had everything that life could give her. She had multiple properties. She owned a beautiful home of her own. She had a uh, beautiful car, money in the bank. People were coming to her, but something was desperately missing in her life. She drove her silver Mercedes to Laguna Beach Hotel, checked in, and then checked out with an overdose of pills. She left behind a note which said, I'm ending my life because I'm so tired of clapping with one hand. Tired of clapping with one hand. Tired of being alone. You need fellowship. It's not optional. It's not optional. We have too much proximity without community. We need a sense of connection. And our connection in Jesus Christ, I said this, I feel sorry for people who aren't born from above and have a local church where they can fellowship together and meet together and hope. And by the way, when you get in trouble, we'll be here for you. I don't know what other churches do, but I know the Gospel Baptists, when our people get in trouble, we're here for them. When they get in financial trouble, in some degree, we're here for them. When they get in, we'll bail you out of jail. <laughs> Even if you're guilty. One preacher said, half my congregation's been in jail and half are in jail. That was a tough group. We need fellowship with each other. It helps us, it strengthens us. Gives us it reminds me of charcoal cooking. You say, how's that, preacher? I'm glad you asked. Charcoal cooking. How many ever tried to light a bunch of charcoals one at a time? Not going to work. 
by the time you light it, it'll be gone. You put so much heat on it. But when they, when they have these charcoal lighter things you buy at Lowe's, and they're like a round can, they got a screen on the bottom of them, and they got a handle, hopefully with wood, not metal. And you put a bunch of these charcoals in that thing, and these are self-lighting charcoals, and you just take a little match at the bottom and start it going, and you, they're real close together, jammed, and they, they start up in a fire, and pretty soon, man, in a matter of two or three minutes, they're like red hot. They're putting out all kinds of heat. You take that and dump it into your cooker, your green egg, and your cooker, if you're rich like Joe Franz is and has a cooker like that, and you put that into the green egg, and, and you have to have them coals, but you keep them together. Now, if they all spread out, they'll almost go out. Don't spread away from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't spread away from the people of God. Have fellowship with the people of God. You need it. We need fellowship with God also. Glorifying God and enjoying his fellowship are two chief ends of man. Philippians 3.10, Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Well, that's a tough one to ask for. Being made conformable unto his death. Wow, you ever pray that? God, make me conformable. Make me have fellowship with your sufferings. Why would you do that? Because it's in the fire when you get to know God, that's why. The good times and the easy times, you don't get to know God well, you don't grow well, but it's in the troubles of this life, God will come to you and be with you and help you. Jesus made it clear what the end of all God's creatures was intended to be in Matthew 4.10. Satan was tempting him and he said, Thou, he tells Satan, Thou shalt worship the, Lord, worship the Lord thy God. Him only shalt thou serve. That's you and me too. We should, what's our, what's our chief end of man? Serving God. That's our chief end of God. The chief end of man for God is to serve him. He told the devil that. He meant, he meant it. That's the way it is. When one fellowships with God, he automatically glorifies his creator. Matthew 5.16, Jesus' words, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. That's that service again. In other words, you're serving God with good works, and they glorify your Father which is in heaven. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. The final outcome of fellowship, we see... Uh, uh, it's called a covenant formula. We find it in Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And it says, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. That covenant formula is found tw over at least 21 times in the Bible. Our creator... Uh, wants to be with us. I preach a sermon, Jesus wants to be our neighbor. I, now, let me ask you a question. Uh, Dave, would you like to be my neighbor? Would you really? You're crazy. <laughs> but I appreciate you. Want to be my neighbor. If I came through this place and really, 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 it was a real deal, not a hypothetical, that you could be my neighbor. I mean, right, live right beside me. Would you really want to be my neighbor? I had 50 roosters at one time. At three in the morning, at a full moon, they crowed all night long. You say, preacher, I, maybe, maybe I don't want to be your neighbor. But you would in heaven. You will, by the grace of God in heaven, will want to be neighbors with each other. And Jesus wants to be our neighbor. It says in Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. 
He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Why do people like dogs? Because no matter what you do, no matter how you smell, no matter how dirty you are, no matter, no matter uh, what you look like, that dog just loves to see you when you show up. You have, a, you have a desire in your heart to be liked, to be wanted, to be needed. I don't need a dog for that. But some of you do. But I'm telling you by the authority of the, of the Bible that God someday is going to rejoice over you. That he's going to sing over you. Because you're redeemed by his shed blood, you that have been born from above. Wow. God the Father will take personal interest in you. Revelation 2.17, He hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches, to him that overcometh, that's born again believer, will I give to eat of the hidden man, and I will give him a white stone, and a stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. You know, sometimes we see uh, husbands and wives gives, give names of endearment. Names of endearment. <laughs> My wife, have a, we have a few secret names, which I make public and they're no longer secret. But we have a few secret names for each other. And uh, she calls me honey. Not real creative, I get it. I call her, I have a whole list of secret names I call her. Uh, through the house I'll say, Tootsie Wootsie. Honey bunny, sweet thing. She doesn't yell for me because I can't hear. <laughs> the other day she came up to me and she said, I, I would have sworn, I would I would swear in the Bible, put my hand in the Bible. You're not supposed to do that. Let your yes be yes and nay and nay. You don't have to put your hand in the Bible to be honest. Well, let's just say for our sake, I'd have put my hand in the Bible and said, I, I thought she said she was going to vote for DeSantis. And I said, are you going to vote for DeSantis? And she said, no, I told you I wanted to make a sandwich. <laughs> I thought, man. Okay. I was a little taken back on the vote for DeSantis. I'd vote for him if he was the only guy left. We don't want to lose him as a governor of Florida. I don't know about you. I want to keep him here. With names of endearment, that's what that's talking about. That white stone's a diamond. And God's going to put your name, a name that only you and he know. That's the amazing thing about this. It's so personal that only you and he know the name. I won't be able to look at, look at uh, Jeff's uh, stone and say, diamond, by the way, that God gives you, uh, the girl's best friend I heard. But nevertheless, uh, we men don't mind diamonds, even though, hey, I don't wear jewelry. I'm waiting to heaven. And so I look, at, I look at his up in heaven and say, Jeff, oh, I can't read that. What's that? And he says, well, that's just between me and God. That's just me. How can God do that? Because he's omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. He can do it. He's going to do it. Nothing compares to the love bond between the Lord Jesus Christ and you. I hope you love Jesus. I hope you don't serve Jesus out of duty. I hope you don't serve Jesus out of cold. I have to. You don't want, man, nobody... 
I don't want my wife to help me because she has to. I want her to help me because she wants to. I want her to be with me because she wants to be with me. Now, if she doesn't want to, she has to, but nevertheless, <laughs> I'll take whatever I get. Sometimes you serve out of duty. Hey, sometimes you don't, don't feel like it. Sometimes you do what's right, but you do what's right because it's right to do, and that's doing it out of duty. That's what soldiers do all the time. They hit the beaches knowing they may lose their life there, not because they're, oh, I'm thrilled to do this today. They do it because it's the right thing to do, and they're doing their duty. Sometimes we in love, we do our duty, but that's not the way it's going to end up. Ultimately, we're going to do it because we got the want to, but why not have it now? Why not have it now? We will have fellowship with other saints in heaven. Over 12 times in the Bible, at least 12 times, we're told to love one another. Jesus put it this way in John 13, 35. But this shall all, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. I hate to say this, but I bet there's people in this room that don't even like some people in this room. Well, let me say the good news. You don't have to like me, but you're commanded to love me. Love is a commitment. I just did uh, some marriage council for Merrick Furrows in April, the little one-hour marriage council. How do you tell people that have never been married, have no idea what it is, how to be married? Well, you do the best you can, and you tell them, in two years, come back. <laughs> love one another. It's the very fabric of heaven is fellowship and the bond of love. Fellowship in heaven will be beyond description. Without the hindrance of the evil nature, without the hindrance of lust, we will be able to have pure intimacy and expression of fellowship with each other in heaven. We then can know each other in an absolutely pure and out of purity and truth. These married couples have been married for 50, 60 years, like the Morris have been married for 65 years. I'm close. 66, 66 years. I believe if you talk to the Morrises, either her, take her separate away, or take him separate away. They say they really knew each other. But the truth is, each of them also have an evil nature, like I have an evil nature. And even though I've been with my wife for 52 years, I still, I can't have the intimacy with her that I want to have or that we can have in heaven. Because when sin's gone, when all that is involved in sin is gone, we're going to have an intimacy like even marriages don't know. Wow. Whoa. Paul says, then I should then but then I sh shall I know even as I am known. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 12, we will fellowship with angels in heaven. Yeah. We're going to fellowship with angels. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might together Gather together in one all things in Christ, both that are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Colossians 1.20 says this way, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him 
to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether there be things in earth or things in heaven. One day, all of the born-again people and God's, cre- and God's creatures will be free from division and death and debauchery. They will, they will, this will allow all of us and, and the angels, the people, and the created things that God has made to pursue God and to fellowship with God and have unity with Him and to glorify Him as our Creator once intended. We're going to be able to... I happen to believe from what the Bible says in Revelations where it says every creature that is in earth glorifies those that are even in the sea. I heard saying, I don't doubt that animals will be able to communicate in heaven. I don't doubt it a bit. The Bible seems to indicate there'll be an ability to communicate and glorify God, each one of them. All of his creation will glorify God and we'll have absolute and total unity. Hey, whatever, Paul, having been in the third heaven himself, said the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be. Now, he had been in the third heaven, and he had seen it. In fact, he saw stuff that he was forbidden to talk about. He said, I saw things that are forbidden to say. I can't say them. I can't repeat them. I'm sorry. It's forbidden information. Why? Well, it would change. Somehow it would change people in a way that what God didn't want them to change. There were seven thunders in the book of Revelation that stated a statement, these seven thunders. And just as John was beginning to write the the, the, the angel that was with him said, don't write. Do not write those things. Those are for, why? The seven thunder. Those statements of seven statements made by the seven thunders would have somehow changed things and under, our understanding of things and would change the way God wanted things to come out. He doesn't want you to know what they said. He just said they were done, but you don't get to know. Only people who are going to get to know that are the people in heaven at that time, which, by the way, will be the born-again Christians. Some of you folks, all you born-again believers in this room will be with God. Glory to God. you got a good future. For the born-again believer, things are getting brighter and brighter and better and better. Now, you may suffer now. You may have cancer now. You may go bankrupt now. You may lose everything now. You may be persecuted now. You may be slaughtered like October 7th. You, like you, when the people that think they're doing God a favor to kill you, that's coming. And you may, you may have that kind of any... But that will not, the, the, the suffering of this present time is so little compared to the glory that will be, it's like a nothing. Who said that? Paul. The Apostle Paul. Of all people that have been beaten so much and his, his back was unrecognizable, he said it. Well, I haven't suffered anywhere close to Paul, and I don't know anybody in my lifetime or even historically that have suffered up by Paul. They have. There have been some. I just take it for what it says. I believe him. How about you? Don't you you sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. Don't you sacrifice these wonderful things that God has for you for a little thrill now, for some drugs now, for some sex now, for some illicit stuff now. Don't you trade the beautiful things that God has prepared for them that love him for those little temporary things that are going to eventually leave sour and leave you, leave you so stricken like, like Robin Williams, he even killed himself. Wow. Heaven 
is waiting for those who trust the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So I ask you this question. Have you trusted Jesus? Do you know you know you have eternal life? If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father which is in heaven. Being saved is not filling out a piece of paper, even praying a prayer. That's not being saved. It's when your heart meets with God and you meet his conditions of repentance and faith and then you mean it with your, all your heart, God saves you, brings you into his kingdom. You can have that today. Don't you leave here without Christ. If you've got questions about this, we'd love to talk to you more about it. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, thank you today for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the thrill of the promise of heaven. I didn't write any of this. You wrote it. Well, about 100 A.D., I believe, is when old John was on the Isle of Patmos and saw the book of Revelation. Father, 19 centuries almost have come and gone, and you're preparing your church. Help us to have faith in God. In Jesus' precious name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.